honestly, like I had this conversation with my wife relatively often. I'm like, what if I just, you know, quit and write erotica or something <laughs> to pay the bills? Hi, this is Val. Avery. And Yasin. And you're listening to Educated But Confused. If you are interested in neuroscience, grad school, or just listening to people talk about random science stuff, this podcast is for you. As people who are educated but also confused, we aim to bring on guests to elaborate on their experiences and provide a non-academic space to talk about science. When we say non-academic space, we mean that this is a space to have organic conversations surrounding science, as if you're chatting with a friend in a coffee shop. To maintain the integrity of the topics covered in this podcast, we will do a fact check. Consider this podcast the intersection where good science meets good conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to season one, episode five, the last season of our um, milestones throughout graduate school. Um, so for today's episode, we have a guest who will speak upon uh, post prospectus. Um, we'll get into that and what that means, uh, dissertation and postdoc transition. Um, and we're really excited uh, for this episode. So we'll do our normal uh, series. We'll introduce ourselves, the host, and then the guests of honor will introduce themselves. So naturally, I think I guess I'll start. Um, my name is Yassin Falali. Um, I'm educated, oh, pronouns he, him, his, uh, educated in engineering and currently receiving my training in neuroscience. Uh, today, my confusion is like weather in general because I'm in Pennsylvania right now visiting my family. And I think it's on the same like latitude as that as Iowa, but like very different climate. Like it's not as cold here as Iowa. And that would really interest me. I was, I don't know if it's because of the water or whatnot, but weather is super interesting. I don't know a lot about it. So kind of confused about it. So I think it's important because it kind of drives societies and other things like has bigger impacts in general. So I'll talk to a meteorologist one day. <laughs> Uh, you seen, are there a lot of mountains around where you're at? Yeah, I think it's like the end or like the middle of the Apple, Appalachian mountain range is so, here. It's like very mountainous. Yeah. As a, uh, as an undergrad, I took an environmental science course and there's a, a different, um, like air lapse rate kind of heating and cooling as air climbs over mountain ranges. Mm. So in, I'm not saying it does have something to do with that, but it may have something to do with that. That would make sense. Cause there's like in the city that we are, we're in like this like weird plateau. There's no mountains, but any, if you go like five or 10 miles out, it's all mountains. So we're in this like little bubble of flatland. So maybe we're like being protected because they don't get any snow. I asked my parents to be like, yeah, we don't, it rains, but like they won't snow. Like, it's so weird for like living in central Pennsylvania. So that is cool. okay. I'll look into that though. That's really cool. I did not know you did and uh, took an environmental science course. So. Yeah, it was, it was my first that? semester. My first semester as an undergrad, I needed a, a gen ed, and that's what I took. Um, it's a solid gen ed. Yeah, it's yeah. um, it's like dry and moist adiabatic lapse rate. I think is what it's called. Mm. But yeah, See, I I also took environmental science classes, and the fact that you remember that is mind blowing. <laughs> honestly it was my favorite part of that course because it was the only part that was like math heavy and i really enjoyed it um and i i was drinking uh, an apple cider earlier but i finished it and then forgot to bring it (laughs) next to me i really like apples and my mom bought some fresh organic apple cider so that's what i would have drank okay i'll go next We're on Zoom for the listener, which is our first time on Zoom. So it's not our normal like circle table. Um, Yeah. But hello, I'm Avery. Pronouns they, them. I'm educated in neuroscience for both my undergrad and then now in grad school. Uh, And I am confused about why there is a difference in how we like sell or size men's versus women's pants. Cause I recently was like, Oh, I want to buy pants. And I was like, you know what? I've never like looked at men's pants and I wonder if I'd like that. And so I was looking at men's pants and you have like the waist measurement and like the inseam or length. And it's like, 
And they came in today and they fit so nicely. And I was like, this is fantastic comparatively to like women's pants. You're just like, oh, I'm like a a two or like a six or whatever. And that's it. And so there's such a like difference. I feel like, well, I don't know. I've bought one pair of men's pants and then like a million pairs of women's pants, but there's such a difference. And I don't know why it exists, but like, I like the sizing of men's pants better. I would say like the way that they do it. The fact that it's consistent. What? The fact that it's consistent and not like done by magic. Yeah. Like women's (laughs) sizes are such like, I have no idea. Every brand is different in like fit and what a size two even actually is. Yeah. And like shirts too. And like some like men's shirts, you can do like your neck size. Like my necks are always so wide and I don't like that. And then I was like, oh, you can like, you can pick that or like size it for that. (laughs) I had no idea. So I'm like confused about it, but learning things. So it's interesting. Um, Yeah. How does like a women's two reflect like a men's 30 waist? Like the, the waist is like the, the circumference, right? For men's yeah. at least. So is that the same for women's? Or what's the like you on? don't you don't give a waist size for women's. It's just a number. That's and like, you're just like, oh, this is my number. That's it. Yeah, well, like it, de- it, it depends. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh on what brand and whether or not they do vanity sizing or all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the most specific gets is like short versus regular or like long, I would say. So anyway, that's my confusion. And then I'm drinking dandelion root tea that I made this morning and it's been in my thermos all day. (laughs) So I'm still drinking it. Yeah. Do you you normally just take a while to finish drinks or are you really trying to savor this one? I, I don't, I guess. Sometimes I take a long time. Like I just have been bad at hydration today is what that means. Like this is the drink that I've been working on all day. So pretty bad for water (laughs) intake. Uh, But it's nice. Like it's good tea. So yeah. Dandelion. Interesting. What's like the flavor profile if you could describe it? Uh, It's like. Kind of in the same realm of green tea, I would compare it to like not a black tea or anything. Like it's definitely, yeah, it's not like anything crazy for flavor. Lulu's brother was like, he got like a personal trainer or something. And over winter break, like we went and visited her family and then he was talking, he ordered like dandelion root tea and he was talking all about it. And then I tried it and I was like, you know, this is pretty nice. And like, I don't know, maybe it has health benefits. I think I read (laughs) one review article and I was like, okay, like we're not really sure, but there's something maybe. So then I was like, sure, I'll buy it. Why not? That's awesome. I know that some people use like roasted dandelion root tea as like a coffee substitute because it Mm. doesn't have caffeine. So yeah. Yeah, this one is caffeine-free, which I liked as well. Well, I'll go next. My name is Val, um, pronouns he, him, and I am educated in psychology, health, and mathematics for my undergrad and currently being trained in neuroscience like the rest of us. Um, I am confused about sort of on on topic this time with my research interests, um, lucid dreaming. I... Last time I saw Lex, our wonderful guest, uh, was at SFN, Society for Neuroscience, which is this huge, humongous conference. Um, And I had stumbled upon one, just one poster presentation about lucid dreaming and Dungeons and Dragons and how it can be used as like therapy. Uh, the, The data was, I remember it being sort of lackluster on amount of data, um, but it is lucid dreaming. So I kind of understood that because it's difficult not just to find people who can lucid dream but uh to actually quantify that and and you know do it in a research setting so confused about how to go about studying lucid dreaming but also how anybody 
can manage to lucid dream. It's an interesting topic all around. Uh, some, you know, sometimes the subject of Hollywood fiction, but um, interesting that people were at least self-report uh, being able to do that and um, that people are taking a therapeutic approach to it. Super interesting. Uh, and I'm just drinking water. <laughs> I've been drinking little bits all day. I did a, a sleep study a couple nights ago. Well, yeah, Wednesday night into Thursday morning. And um, the other grad student that was working with me had to leave early because of a, a cat mishap. And I got stuck being awake all night, which was, oh, it was a struggle. And there's always like this weird, like trying to recover sleep while also trying to like keep an appetite and keep my water intake good. So I'm really struggling today to try to get enough water. Dang. Do you, do you like get the next day off if you stay up for research or how does that work? Uh, I mean, it's not like, you know, like I'm not off. I'm not, I'm not sitting there doing nothing, but I like, you know, stayed home. I didn't go into the lab and mm -hmm. Um, you know, took a really long nap and tried to recover a little bit of that overnight lack of sleep. Um, so I didn't like, I guess kind of like, I, I got like a half day off. Okay. That's good. To, I just <laughs> recovered. Like, yeah, yeah I got to be in lab at nine. Sorry. Yeah. No, much you can do. no, we were barely even done by eight. You know, I, I left at, I think eight 30 cleaning up after the sleep study. So oh. yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Usually we have a sleep technician that does that part and like stays overnight, but because the sleep technicians that we hire are also undergraduates during, you know, winter and summer break, it can be really mm -hmm. difficult to um, get people to do the overnight because they're either not around or, you know, out partying or, or whatever, whatever undergrads are out doing nowadays <laughs> during the right. winter and summer break. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so kind of difficult to get that, but. Uh, it worked out, you know, we got our data and that's what mattered. You know, all for research, sacrifice for the research. Yeah. So I, I keep that's hearing that, Yeah, that's the mantra. I keep hearing from other people that like sleep researchers should do sleep studies on other sleep researchers and see how being a sleep researcher affects your sleep. That would be kind of fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Meta sleep. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess it's my turn. Uh, my name is Lex, uh, pronouns she, her. Uh, I am educated in biology and geography uh, as an undergrad. And then as a graduate student, neuroscience generally, development and sensory processing more specifically. Um, and right now I am actually really confused about electrical engineering. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the lab that I joined for my postdoc is in the Department of Biomedical Engineering, and most of the students and postdocs have some kind of engineering background, and uh, we build a lot of our own kind of equipment and stuff, and so getting thrown into that mix with absolutely no engineering prowess or knowledge, I'm just like, oh, this is, this is great. I'm not totally sure how these, how these things work. <laughs> so, and uh, right now I am drinking tea as well uh although in in the uh the questions that you sent me before it says drink and why and i wrote down a little response and i said to drown my sorrows because that's how i interpreted <laughs> that question <laughs> yes we should have clarified that's so funny oh my gosh <laughs> i mean i had listened to like one of the episodes before so i knew that's i knew that's not what she meant but i was like ha 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 <laughs> Quality your answer fun. can be yeah the response should be whatever your response really is. And if that's what it is, then by all means, <laughs> share, <laughs> drown your sorrows with us. Yeah. Yeah. So I did the opposite of what you just did. I did engineering where I was like really fascinated about building these cool apparatuses and then went into neuroscience and I was like, what the heck is the brain? Um, so if it's any help, you just got to, kind of be in it and you eventually learn that's what I did I mean I'm still in it and haven't learned everything but. yeah no I, I get the impression it's very much like uh it's like going through like an immersion like language learning program where you just like keep doing it until you're like oh like I know what a PID controller is or whatever 
no that's facts that's facts <laughs> just expo yeah. con continuous exposure yep awesome. so yeah i can imagine also you studied geography in your undergrad yeah. yes um so before i knew i wanted to study neuroscience um i actually came into graduate or not graduate school. i came into undergrad uh not really thinking I was smart enough to do like a quote unquote hard science. Um, so I was like, oh, like geography and environmental science is like getting into science, but it's not like hardcore, hardcore in my head. Like, I think it can get hardcore, but like in my head, I was like, oh, I could do this. Um, yeah. And then eventually I was like, this is not interesting enough for me. <laughs> and I had also taken like an intro biology class. Um, as a geography major and I was like, oh, this, this is cool. I could, I could maybe do this. Um, and honestly, like, this is going to sound very shady, but I met some like pre-med students and, and it's like, if you can do this, I can do this. <laughs> You're like, oh, I, I'm smart enough. <laughs> I can <Yeah>. do it. <laughs> yeah. I have a very like, kind of broad biology background um from undergrad so yeah. have like the most successful people i swear have like broadest backgrounds so interdisciplinary um, at least in my experiences there's actually a book about that called range and it's essentially just about how being a generalist is like going to help you succeed um in life generally <laughs> i'm gonna write this down yeah range been getting a lot of book recommendations lately so now really? i have like a working list of notes yeah i went to like the starbucks like in this town just to check out the town three times i've been there three different people have like came up to me randomly or like hey like just try conversation like you should read this book all right i guess it was not a you look like a reader you should read this <laughs> yeah i guess so um well i'll like jump in with our first kind of because we have a lot to cover with you, Lex. We're like, oh, let's talk about finishing your PhD and like starting a postdoc and all this stuff. So I guess like the last time, our last episode, we talked with Bill about prospectus and what that was like for him. And then I guess it would be cool. Like you have now graduated and you're a postdoc. And what was it like for you, like leaving off at prospectus and like, looking down the rest of your PhD and like finishing it? Like what were your biggest challenges and how did you do it? Like what was your experience, I guess, just like leading up to and defending your dissertation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my prospectus, I actually did my prospectus relatively late. I pushed mine back into my fourth year. Um, okay. so, uh, which is like a year later than you're theor theoretically supposed to do it. And that happened because my, uh, PI and I at the time felt like I was not ready and my project was not in a good place to like have a cohesive document. Um, yeah. so honestly the, like the process of like getting to and through prospectus was very, not super difficult, but it really like gelled everything together. So that way when I finished my prospectus or like kind of like quote unquote defended it, I had a really solid game plan moving into the rest of the dissertation work, um, which is the point, right? Of writing that whole big document, that introductory, uh, you know, chapter um, ends up serving as like the first chapter of your PhD uh, or your dissertation. Um, and then you have all your planned out experiments. The really hard part, honestly, was understanding exactly what needed to happen in order to make all of those things realized, which sounds um, sounds like I think that doesn't make sense unless you're actually in the thick of it, because for a lot of my PhD, I didn't really understand like the process, if that makes any sense. In fact, like most of what I was doing in lab didn't really gel for me until I published my first paper or like was in the process of writing that first paper. Because when you're doing that, you're like, okay, so like here are my methods. This is exactly what I did. This is how I did it. And then you kind of like 
as you write your results and discussion, you develop this story for your, your research. And then it just kind of like, there's this light bulb that went off for me. And I was like, oh my God, I get it now. I wish I had had this experience, like, you know, in the first three years of graduate school. Um, so like just getting to a point after, after prospectus where it all kind of like clicked for me. Cause I think a lot of, um, I mean, my experience and my experience, like talking to my cohort members was that a lot of us felt like we were kind of like flailing around, like trying to do what we thought we were supposed to do and trying to do what our like PIs wanted us to do, but still not having a great idea of like how it all fits together. And like, what is this all going to look like at the end? Um, so that was kind of like one of the biggest hurdles to overcome after prospectus, like between prospectus and dissertation. Um, I would say that the other really big hurdle is that, and I think that this is maybe relatively common. um, Most people don't actually do, sorry, I'll take that back. Most people do the majority of their dissertation work in the last like two or three years. So like, it's not to say that your first two years are spent like dicking around, but by like, you know, your third or fourth year, you kind of get what's supposed to happen. And that's when you like really have this big push. But that being said, sometimes when you get to that stage, your projects don't work out. So following my prospectus, I had like detailed plans of these projects that I was going to do. The first project was basically halfway done. So I just finished that. And then my second project, which I initiated in my um, fifth year, um, is actually in the in the in the summer of my fifth year or the summer of my the end of my fourth year. So going into my fifth year, I initiated what would be this the final chapter or the the final like results chapter of my dissertation, um, and pursued a project for nine months and did not get like interpretable results. So figuring out like going through that and being like, oh shit, this was actually supposed to be a part of the dissertation and it was supposed to be like part of my big package at the end and um, figuring out like what to do from that point of, I guess, quote unquote, like failure was also a big challenge. Um, yeah, what and did I think, you do? Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, like, it's good. Just curious. Yeah. Um, so I ended up just like switching tracks completely. So okay. at that point in time, I had kind of like some ideas for side projects and, you know, I had been hammering out this like project that I had outlined in my um, prospectus and it wasn't working. And I, I talked to my PI and I was like, look, like I, I could keep doing this, but it's just, it's a little demoralizing at this point. And there are a couple other things that I would like to try. Um, so I did some like relatively quick experiments and got some really, thankfully, very exciting data. And, um, and then I actually ended up collecting uh, all of the data I needed for that, uh, kind of second project in about like two and a half or three months, which is kind of wild when you think about the span of your whole like PhD work. Um, so it really, it really was, and this is, this is what I meant when I said like people do the majority of their like research intensive work at the end of their graduate career. Cause like that, like I collected as much data during that time as I did for my entire first paper. Um, but I had the tools at that point and like the knowledge to know what needed to happen. So, but, but yeah, awesome. I think it's, yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's relatively common for experiments not to work out. And so it was useful to have like something in my back pocket that I was like, Oh, this, this could be cool. This is like maybe a very simple question. But like, what, what actually is a dissertation? Like what went into your dissertation and like writing it up and. Yeah. So the dissertation for the program that I completed essentially consists of an introduction, a general methods, a results section, and then a general discussion. So it's basically like a regular paper, but blown up into about like 60 to a hundred pages. Um, (laughs) <laughs> why <laughs> and, why 
That's yeah. a great question. And I asked myself that constantly when I was working on it. <laughs> like, how do you write that many pages on like a single project? Or it's like multiple 200. projects? It's multiple projects. So uh, the idea for the way it was structured is that you write your prospectus, which serves as your kind of introductory slash background chapter for your dissertation. So theoretically, you have that done. You have that in your pocket. And then the methods are essentially just like a huge like conglomerate of like, these are all the methods that you're going to see for the results that I'm about to present. Um, and people structure them in different ways. Some people just kind of like glom them all together. Some people write like a general methods and then just write individual methods, like more detailed methods for the results sections, um, which is kind of more what I did. So for my results, I actually ended up um, more or less copying and pasting my two papers uh, into the results section, which is relatively common these days, I think, instead of just writing. A, like, So it saves you a little bit of time on the writing. So you have your yeah. prospectus, which is your introduction. And then if you have a paper or are working on a paper, you just throw that in. Um, and then honestly, one of the harder parts was the kind of general discussion and conclusion. Um, yeah. Cause that's, that's the part where you can, you can really wild out and propose some crazy things. Yeah. Did you propose crazy things? Uh, I think I proposed some things that um, maybe were not as measured as they would have been if it was going into like an actual publication. But at that point, um, I think that version, I think that, chapter went through like two drafts um because both my pi and i were like it's fine just just send it to your committee it's overdue anyway <laughs> so okay yeah. my my last question is just like in the process of finishing your dissertation and defending like what what helped keep you on track the most and like what was the hardest thing about staying on track Oof, that is a good <laughs> question. Um, I definitely think it's different for everybody, but for me personally, I had some very um, like strict deadlines that I needed to adhere to in order to like be successful in in completing my my dissertation. Um, because I was looking, I had essentially secured a postdoctoral position before my dissertation was submitted. Um, and my partner who, or my wife, who was then my partner at the time, um, had secured a PhD position in the city where I was going to do my postdoc. So it was like, there was a drop dead date for when I could be done. Um, yeah. So it was definitely helpful. As far as kind of keeping myself on track in the process. Um, <laughs> there are two things I think. One, anxiety is a great motivator. Um, <laughs> great. <laughs> it really sucks, but it's a great motivator. Um, and two, I made a lot of lists, which some people don't find helpful, but I find it really useful to be able to like cross something off or check something off and be like, yeah, I did that. It's taken care of. Don't need to revisit that, hopefully. Um, yeah, but I think having some kind of game plan going into the like, because you have this kind of ramp up period before you and your PI are like, okay, you're ready to defend. You need to write your document. And once you've had that conversation, it's really good to have kind of like a, a week by week game plan of like what your writing goals are. To me, after you defend a PhD, it's like you get past all these defenders, you got the ball, it's time to score a goal time for a career um but a lot of people get flustered and don't really know what to do uh so what are some strategies uh that are really effective for like post phds to get into like a postdoc position um or even um just a general position out after their um they complete the dissertation um like highlighting relevant skills because you have so much knowledge like you've done all of these techniques like you're a master communicator um you you're like in your niche and like you are the expert like you just defended a, a novel topic uh which like on paper anybody should agree that you're definitely more than capable but a lot of people i think 
do get flustered and there's this like mystery of like how do you sell yourself even if you have a phd yeah yeah so since i um only looked at doing a postdoc i will speak mostly to that but i can speak maybe more generally to just how to prepare yourself um i think that across the board for whatever you think you might want to do after you defend plan like start planning early and start thinking about that early um you know so i i knew that i wanted to go to a postdoc because my eventual goal is still to be in some kind of like academic research position um so i actually started kind of putting out feelers for potential people to do my postdoc with about a year and a half before my intended um dissertation date um and talking to different people some people were like wow that's so early and then some people were like oh no that's that sounds about right um i think in i think based on my experience it maybe was a little bit early but if you start that early even just thinking about it even just writing down names of like this person who does cool stuff that person does cool stuff i might want to live here i wouldn't want to live there um having that kind of like talk with yourself or and or your significant other really early on it just allows you more time to think about it and kind of envision it and then also um for both postdoc and i think any kind of job that you want to go to into it is in my opinion it, excuse me it is in my opinion extremely important that you visit the place that you are intending to work at and live for like the next however many years um you know i think that at the time that i was doing that i had was doing interviews um some universities were still not allowing uh university sponsored travel because of covid um but i still went out to all the places that i like thought that i wanted to work um because i really do think it makes all the difference cuz you know some place can look really good on paper and then you get there and you're like this is not what was advertised <laughs> or like the opposite like you go somewhere or you like look at something on paper and you're like oh this 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 could be kind of cool and then you get there and you're like wow this is dope i want to do this um which is kind of what happened in my uh kind of postdoc search so so i guess with that then is like selling yourself on paper not as important as like you know gaining those connections and like really looking at the your environment and how it matches a better fit than like traditional like I'm good at xyz yeah i think it depends on kind of what position you are going into so if you're going to, like theoretically if you were going into a more industry position um they might kind of put more value on paper my general experience with like getting hired as a postdoc is that you send in your cv to the person that you're talking to. well actually i should i should backtrack that at first because so the way that i went about this is i identified my list of people that i thought i wanted to work with i sent them a cold email because <laughs> i had never met these people before right. um which was you know as bold it's it is bold it is easier if you like had meet these people at conferences before but i hadn't ever met any of these people so i was like okay here we go um so I, like i sent them a cold email i attached my cv i essentially told them like this is what i do this is what i'm interested in this is why i think i would be a good fit for y'all can we talk and then the cv just gives them an idea of like what your background is what they might expect from you but it's really hard to capture your skills even if you write them into your cv it's really hard to capture your skills and like who you are as a person from a piece of paper so honestly the interviewing process was a lot like the the face to face interviewing process was a lot um more useful in terms of me being able to communicate like my strengths to my potential employer um and also like evaluating my potential employer for like do i like their you know, like you know leadership style do i like the way they are kind of like talking about the work that they do do they seem excited um which i think is really important then personally anyway i like i like to be excited about my my job but 
I'm no, definitely not, not doing not. it for the money. <laughs> no, I mean, at this point, if you're in academia, you're really not doing it for the money. No. It's for the knowledge. And um, so, yeah, how how was that, um, I should say, like those face-to-face interactions? Because I feel like the writing out, you have so much time to like curate this document um, and like all of your accolades and what you've done. But the face-to-face interaction, like, how do you like mitigate your nervousness? How do you really sell yourself? How do you, you know, be comfortable and have all of this logged information just easily articulated in something that flows? Yeah. So, uh, I did all of my interviews initially over zoom, which is one of the good things that have come out of the pandemic is that everything can be virtual and it feels a lot less stressful when you're talking to a screen as opposed to like a person right across from you. At least it did for me. Um, cause I could like sit there in a nice like shirt and like pajama pants and be very comfy and they would have no idea. Um, and as far as like kind of conducting the interview, cause you are, I think in a lot of time, a lot of times you're interviewing your potential employer as much as they're interviewing you. So mm-hmm. what I tended to do is, um, I had like a document of like, you know, kind of what I mentioned in the original email, like more in depth, like this is what I've done. And these are the skills that I think I can bring to your lab. This is what I'm interested in. And this is what the skill, these are the skills that I want to develop. And then always, always, always like ask, like, what are the current projects that are going on in your group? Like, what are you excited about? Because people like a lot of PIs really love to answer those types of questions. And that also gives you a better gauge for like what they consider important, what they consider exciting. Um, so I think for the, for the, the interviews with like the kind of PIs, I stuck to more of like, you know, the science, what I would be doing, um, And then like towards the end of the interview, ask kind of more like, so what's it like living in XYZ city? Like, you know, what's kind of the general workflow of the lab? Um, How big is the lab? Um, But definitely like it helps to have like one screen here. And then like on my other screen, I had this document of like, these are the questions that I want to ask, which you probably can't do in a conventional like face-to-face interview either. (laughs) Right. No, that's the hack. Because like coming up, I swear, like selling yourself is all about asking really interesting uh, questions that kind of like hit home for somebody. They're like, oh, okay, you get my language. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's not even about asking interesting questions, but it's about asking a person the right question that makes you seem interested in them. Right. Mm -hmm. So like you don't have to ask a super detailed question about somebody's research. You could start out by asking like, what is the thing that you're most excited about that's currently going on? Um, which generally like from there, once they start talking about it, you can be like, Oh, you know, then you can ask your more detailed question. Um, but yeah. So and then I guess uh, I'll also ask like, broadly speaking, what has been your experience from like um, attaining your PhD and going to um, a postdoc? What has been that transition? Um, and then within that, like, what was something that you thought was going to be hard that ended up being really easy? And then vice versa, something that was you thought was going to be easy ended up being really hard. Mm, okay, so I'll answer the first part, which is what, what was that transition like? I would still say that I'm, I am currently still in that transition. Uh, <laughs> so everybody I have talked to essentially said, like, first six months of your postdoc is going to be a little rough. Um, because it's almost like you're starting grad school all over again, especially if you did, if, especially if you do what I did, which is I kind of almost drastically switched disciplines. Um, it's not super drastic because I did electrophysiology in my PhD work and I'm still doing electrophysiology, but I went from working in the developing sensory motor system um, in rodents to working with um uh, the vestibular system in non-human primates, like adult non-human primates, which is a really drastic turn. And there is a huge learning curve going from one discipline to another, um, almost no matter what kind of transition you make. Um, and so what has that transition been like? It's been very difficult, but it's also been really exciting because there's there is so much that you know going in. You have this base of knowledge 
from your PhD work, but there's also so much that you don't know about your new field. And you also don't know a lot about how the lab conducts itself, which is another thing. So there's, there's the, there's a side of it where it's like, you know, the transition from one science area to another can be really difficult, but then also the transition from one lab environment to another can be really difficult. Um, you know, and like everybody in my, in my PhD lab and in my present lab are very lovely people, but it's a totally different environment and learning how to like socially navigate those environments can be, um, challenging because they're not the same. Um, and then the second part of your question, which was, uh, what was something that I thought would be easy and wasn't? And then what was something that I thought would be hard, but that was easy? Um, oh gosh. I don't know that anything has actually been easy. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, <laughs> there are things that I was, I was familiar with uh, going into the new environment. Um, because I had done electrophysiology before, I was familiar with a lot of those techniques. But um, a lot of the way they do, a lot of the way like your new lab does things, even if they have a similar technique, will be very different. Um, what was something that I thought would be easy that would that is actually hard? Uh, I tried not to come in with any expectations, um, mm. honestly, and I I think that's probably for the best. So I didn't, I didn't anticipate that anything would be easy, um, which is honestly probably the best route to take. And I think, I think what has kind of helped me most in the transition is just looking at it as like, like you, you feel like you should know things, but in reality, you are brand spanking new. You don't know shit. And you just have to (laughs) embrace that ignorance and that is the only way that you're going to be able to like make, you know, progress in a, in a timely manner. And also in a way that like, if you, if you embrace the fact that you're ignorant, then you can be a little less hard on yourself and during a tough transitional period. Um, and I think that's true regardless of whether you go into a postdoc or whether you go into like a, a non-academic industry type job. So. That like really hits home for me because one of my favorite quotes I forgot who said it. That's crazy. That's my favorite. Cause like the more you realize, you know, something is the more you realize you don't know anything. Type oh, yeah. So as the minute get, you embrace that upward trajectory, my knowledge increases every day. And I also get stupider every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's the facts of a PhD. So now I get some of the juiciest questions to ask you, Lex. Oh, uh, love asking about this, love hearing about this. And I remember I think the first uh, the first time I heard any graduate student talk as a graduate student myself, it was you. And one of the first pieces of advice you gave was find some way to sort of track your progression through your PhD. And yours was that you started with a certain haircut and then didn't cut your hair your whole way through. Um, and that, I thought that was super fascinating. And I, I was going to attempt it myself, but I just, my beard got too unruly and I needed to trim that down. So, you know, I didn't want to come out looking like father time, but I'm curious, um, what, um, what sort of other advice would you give to, you know, a prospective or, or even current graduate students, um, in terms of sort of like achieving success in the program and preparing for a future career? Hmm. Uh, this might sound somewhat counterintuitive to like achieving success, but like the biggest piece of advice I would give is be kind to yourself because PhD is super, super hard. Not because like necessarily like the knowledge gain itself is difficult, but there are so many learning obstacles like not just science related that are very difficult and some you'll get, you know, better than others. There's also just the, like, from a non-learning standpoint, you're going to have failures. It's going to happen. And sometimes it's because you could do something better. And sometimes it's not, and you can't, or I mean, you can, but you should try to not like take those things personally and just tell yourself like, look, shit didn't work out today, but it's not because I'm a bad scientist. It's not because I'm a bad student. I can fix this or I can move on. 
And because I think a lot of, you know, I definitely for me early in my PhD work, I really did kind of get stuck in a very demoralized state. And I think that really prevented me from making progress early on. And I think that if I had just been able to take a step back and be like, this is hard, like it is hard. The fact that I'm struggling doesn't mean that I'm bad at it. It just means that this is going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort and you have to be patient. You have to be kind to yourself. Um, so that's actually not what I thought I was going to say <laughs> to that question. <laughs> Either way, what you said was, was huge. I mean, it's, it's not falling on deaf ears either. I, you know, I've, I've taken um, the same course twice now and not done well either time. So like, just hearing you say like you're going to have failures it's it's good for me to hear and not just you know prospective and, and current grad students that's i think that's huge um all the way around so thank you for sharing that um i guess i just you know one more thing here is there anything you'd like to leave listeners with i mean you've given us so much uh in the way of advice in this episode and that's wonderful um but, you know, like current project plugs, maybe some final statements, anything that we haven't asked you that you want to cover? Oh, gosh. Um, bless. Uh, oh, actually, uh, I'll, I'll shamelessly plug this. Um, my uh, last project for my dissertation work, the one that I collected all that data in like two and a half months, it got accepted by eLife yesterday. So it will be published very shortly. Hey, very awesome. nice. Congrats. That's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Okay. So. I actually have like one more question I wanted to sneak in, which sure. is like, you seem very confident that you're like, I'm staying in academia and like, I want to do this. And I don't think I've actually spoken to someone in a little bit who's like, yeah, I'm very confident that I want to stay in academia and like do this. So I'm just really curious, like how you like what it was like for you. Did you consider going into industry or have you always been like, sure about staying and why <laughs> like not that I don't, I don't know yeah no no that's 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 totally that's a great question and um I'm I'm smiling because I am very much not confident that I'm going to like become a professor um okay. and honestly like I have this conversation with my wife relatively often I'm like what if I just you know quit and write erotica or something <laughs> <laughs> to pay the bills. <laughs> um, it's yeah. it's 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 more like so. I um, there's a, a friend of mine who was a postdoc in my lab or in the lab I did my dissertation work in, and he's now a professor at. Um, at am I allowed to say? <laughs> he's a professor now. Um, but anyway, he has been really helpful and kind of just like giving me like perspective on the journey from like PhD to postdoc to maybe potentially a faculty member. And he shared with me this like kind of philosophy that I really like. And he's essentially said like science is basically like baseball. You could be playing in the minor leagues, which would be like, you know, still in the postdoc phase, still like trying to find a job, or you could be playing in the major leagues, which would be like professor. Right. And, you know, like, you might get paid, you know, like substantially more playing in the major leagues. Right. Um, but the point is that like, you're still doing something you love. Like, and if you still really love what you do, then it doesn't matter if you're playing in the minor or the major leagues, you're still getting like to do the thing that you like. And to, to, to add a caveat, caveat to that, if it, if you get to a point where you don't love what you do anymore, then it's time to consider maybe there's, there's time for change. Currently, I still love what I do. Um, I don't love yeah. some of the frustrations that come with not having engineering knowledge, <laughs> but I still love the science. Like, I still think it's super cool. Um, you know, but if it ever gets to a point where I'm like, you know what, this is not bringing me joy. This is not something that I like get up and I'm like excited to do, or like even mildly enthused to do, then at that point in time, you know, I will consider a different position. And I also think, you know, if it's always good to like set yourself up to succeed, even if you don't succeed at your first goal. So, um, 
one of my goals as a postdoc is to not only do things that will help me hopefully achieve an academic job, but also set myself up so that if that doesn't work out, which is, you know, probable in the current job market, I'll have backup options that still allow me to like do research or do scientific writing. So it is a false confidence that you were (laughs) to bring (laughs) from me. (laughs) Well, that's really helpful to hear like your perspective on it. And I like, I like the baseball analogy. I'll keep that with me because I think that's what keeps me motivated too, is I'm like, well, at the end of the day, I still love what I'm doing here and I want to keep doing it. So yeah. Nice to hear. Thank you so much for like spending the time with us to answer this stuff. And I think it'll be helpful for other people to hear. And it's helpful to hear just from my end, at least. I mean, I think this is a super cool project. Like I would have loved to like have a resource like this when I was like first starting out. Yeah. You know, cause I think like everybody, like I, I still feel lost. <laughs> it's nice to know that everybody else kind of feels lost and that there's like people who feel less lost at a certain point. So anyway. No, really. Yeah. Thank you. Cause like, I think now that I've, we've gone through this whole thing it's interesting it's like a chain reaction where you can like journal together everyone's kind of successes and failures and listeners can take this in bits and pieces and kind of structure a career and what's it about for and um i think that's really important for a lot of prospective people and current people so thank you lex for you know putting the cherry on top to a really cool season yeah and it's also like the state you're in is kind of perfect for our title, not to like, but you know, like you're so educated, but then you're so confused because like, you don't know anything about engineering. So now you're like, oh my God, like this whole new thing. Um, yeah. So it's cool. It's like, you're always in the pursuit of learning new stuff and figuring it out. It never but, stops. <laughs> yeah. It just it really is the nature even. of the beast. Maybe just one last thank you. And then we'll let you go. So we really appreciate it. Thanks again, Lex. That concludes today's episode. Please check the show notes for references from our fact check. Catch us at the start of each month for a new episode. And if you have any questions or inquiries, contact us at educatedbutconfused at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.